You may be seated. Morning, church. Beautiful day out there. A gift from God, precious. And we'll be thinking about that as we listen and meditate and remunerate on God's word. Does he have our heart? Does it all belong to him? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Well, good to see you. We welcome you to this week's installment of Building Strong Families. Uh, This is part two of Discipline. If you weren't here to catch part one, it does kind of lay the foundation. Uh, That is available online along with other messages for you to listen to. Uh, It's interesting to me to hear people around the world that listen to messages in different places. Uh, But that is there for you. Uh, at our website, so please take advantage of that if you missed that uh, first installment. The Bible, the Word of God, is our sole and source text. That's what we believe around here. That's what we use around here. Uh, We believe it is the truth. We believe God's Word is eternal. It is perfect in all ways. It is error-free, and it is God's love letter written to us. It is marvelous. The Bible will guide our path to make good and godly decisions in every matter of life. Do you believe that? Do you consult the Bible to find answers to life's questions when it's time to make a decision? Do we look to God's Word because it is alive and it is speaking? And so uh, we are grateful that God has not left us on our own. He's given us uh, this instruction manual to know Him better. I believe the Word of God is precious, so I believe it should be honored, and uh, we are going to read again the text, so I'd ask, if you would, in respect to the Word of God, that you stand, and we will read together. Uh, once again this week, I will take the uh, leader part, and uh, you will be men and women accordingly, all right? Everybody on the same page? We have that scripture? Here we go. Well, let's start together. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. <laughs> but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Amen? You may be seated. That will be our text for today. Let's get going. We'll pick up where we left off last week. If you got your sermon notes and something to write with and would like to follow along, here we go. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one, each one he accepts as his child. That's the way God works. He is our Father. Now, we began talking about this last week, and we'll pick up here again. Two key words in that phrase that I think are noteworthy. The first one, disciplines. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, uh, the Greek word is paiduo. It means instructive discipline. It is positive in nature. In other words, we want to uh, know how we're supposed to live. And in order to do that, of course, we need to make sure that we are on the right path. Now, in Judaism, a father was required to instruct his sons and daughters to teach them good behavior. And we have to model it. We have to live it. How many of you had to teach your children to do wrong? Mm -mm. Kind of figure that out because we all have a sin nature, correct? And so we must teach our children positive instruction as God does with us as his children, good behavior. Now, the second word is a little more intense. It's the word punishes. God punishes each one he accepts as his child. It goes with the territory. Now, we know that God loves us, right? And we talk often about the wonderful, incredible love of God for each one of us. We don't talk so much about this, but it is the truth from God's word. God punishes each one he accepts as his child. Mastagao is the word to beat with a whip. It was a common Jewish practice, and those in the first century could immediately identify because they saw this happen all the time. Not just with crucifixion, but in general corporal punishment, you would get whipped. So they immediately understood the, the, what was happening here. There's two sides to the same coin. One was positive instruction. The other was corrective instruction. But they were both designed for our good. In fact, each one is going to receive it. Felt God's discipline lately? Hmm. Hmm. Now, hitting a kid with a stick sounds like child abuse. And certainly it can be. So what's it doing in the Bible? What is that concept doing in the Bible? Well, we began to wrestle with this last week. Proverbs twenty three thirteen. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Now, many thoughts and emotions may begin to surface when we read or hear this verse. Painful. In a recent year, over 56,000 children were reported. These are reported cases of abuse or neglect in the state of Wisconsin. Within our borders. These children can more than fill every seat at Miller Park or fill a city the size of Sheboygan. That's one year of reported child abuse or neglect. Some of you in this room were abused. Physically, emotionally, some of you sexually. I get that. And my heart hurts for you. It hurts for you. And you are carrying scars and you are carrying burdens. And I get that too. But I'm here to tell you Jesus is greater. The forgiveness that comes from the cross in which he bore the pain of your abuse. And he can heal it. Now there's still a scar. I get that. But he can set you free from it. That's what Jesus is all about. 
if we give him a heart. Now, wise King Solomon, who wrote this 3,000 years ago, recommended the use of a stick as a motivational tool. Some of us may agree, some of us may disagree. We talked about that last week. We're not talking about small stuff here in context, like forgetting to feed the dog or turn off the TV when you go to bed. No, in context, it's much deeper than that. As we learned last week, the entire family survival depended on each family participant doing what they were assigned to do. If the family survival was dependent on either field or flock in this economy, then each person in the family had to pull their weight. If they did not pull their weight, it put the entire family in jeopardy. And we're not just talking inconvenience, we're talking about survival. And again, we mentioned that last week. Solomon was writing to an audience that understood laziness could be lethal, not just whoops. Solomon suggests that if your kid is really not wanting to harvest the crops and doesn't show up because he'd rather sleep in that morning or that week, you better get him moving even if you have to use a stick because the consequences are devastating for the family. The bruising of the stick won't kill the child. He will not die, but lethargy will kill the child literally. That's the point that Solomon's making. If Junior doesn't learn to get moving, he may drive the entire family to the brink of starvation. Then we got some major problems. The inf- now, listen, the father inflicted pain in love in order to save something. The father would inflict pain in love in order to save or to rescue something. Extremely important concept because that's the way that God deals with us. Some more Proverbs for you. Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Now we extract the principles that are involved here. And in this culture and context and time in history, it was very important that every family member do what they're supposed to do in order that the family can do what it's supposed to do, and that's survive in this context. Now, we fast forward 3,000 years forward to Sheboygan, Wisconsin in 2016. Does it make sense to use a stick to discipline a child? Now, that's an area of conviction. We're not going there. But I hope this trip back to the cultural climate of Proverbs sheds some new light on this issue. It does for me. It helps me understand, here's what the Bible says in its right context. Why the verse was written, when it was written, and what it looked like for those who were listening to it. Okay? The stick was not applied to the lazy son in hatred, but in love. You could be saving your son's life, Solomon says. In fact, if the parent refused to discipline a child, it was a form of passive hatred. Chewing that one for a minute. Another proverb. He who spares the rod hates his son. Whoa. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Sound very familiar to the passage in Hebrews? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Now, the word used in the book of Proverbs, the Hebrew word is shebet. Check this out with Jeff. It refers to a staff, a stick, a rod, or a scepter. It was used for striking or chastening. So uh, the question was asked, Adam, thank you, last week. What does that word mean? So this is for you, all right? This word could be a switch. It could be something, but it's definitely a motivational tool. How many of you were spanked growing up? Motivational tool? Yeah, yeah. 
But I want you to understand this. Nowhere in Scripture does God prescribe a specific form of discipline for children. Nowhere in Scripture. Okay? Spanking is not right for every child all the time. Spanking may be an option for you as a parent. But that's not the point of our discussion this morning. Our discussion revolves around how does God deal with us as his children? And then I think we can understand how that all plays out within the context of our own families. When it comes to discipline, the motive is far more important than the method. The motive is far more important than the method. God loves those he disciplines. Love is the motivation. Now we could talk about timeouts, withholding privileges, grounding, natural consequences, spanking. Whatever method you choose in your own family, okay, okay. The point is we need to discipline our kids because we need to be disciplined as adults. And that's what God does to us because he loves us. But understand, methods changed by generation. Message, these methods of discipline changed by culture. Cindy and I have uh, served some in Africa. And in Africa, uh, raising a child was literally, and this is where the phrase comes from, mm. Won't touch that one. Uh, to be raised by a village. And that's literally what they did. The mom or a sibling would strap the baby on their back, but it was the responsibility of the entire village to raise that kid. When it came to discipline, everybody disciplined the kid. When it comes to supper time, the kid might be over somebody else's hut and they would eat there. That was just the way it was done in Africa. So discipline was a little bit different there. Now, we also had the opportunity to serve in France. And in France, we were just surprised when we see kids up to eight years old with pacifiers and bottles. Now, that was just a little bit weird for us coming from America. Now, we recently most came here from Thailand. And in Thailand, discipline was intriguing because of the influence of Buddhist culture. And everywhere you would see grandmas chasing small children around with a bowl trying to get them to eat. They know nothing about sitting down as a family together at a common table because their culture didn't dictate that. And here comes grandma and she's chasing the kid around trying to get him to eat. And there was very little discipline of children. Why? Because the Buddhist philosophy says and taught and they bought into this identity that life is hard, kids should have fun. Life is hard, kids should have fun. Let a kid be a kid. Therefore, we're not going to give them a whole lot of discipline when they're young. Uh, they're just going to have some fun because when they hit school, Tom, right, then the game changes, as you heard Tom being caned in school in Thailand. Now the game changes dramatically once that happens, right? And then life gets really tough. And then we fall into that Buddhist mindset of fatalism, and, and oh, boy. Uh, now, I'm afraid, though, that many American parents have also adopted this, this way of living. Life is hard, let them be a kid. Right? Just let them have some fun until they're 15 or 20 or 25 and they're 30 and living in your basement, chasing them around trying to get them to eat till they grow up. I got a whole different conversation about that kid. Right? There's the door, out you go. Learn to fly. It'll work. It'll work. Yeah, we'll be praying for you too. See ya. Bye. 
I'm going to chase a kid around trying to get him to eat. Are you kidding me? Huh. Now, when it comes to discipline, the principles of God's word never change. Never change. The methods may change. God's word never, ever changes. The principles remain the same no matter what context, no matter what period of time, no matter what culture we're involved in. The principles of God's word transcends all of that. And it's truth anywhere and everywhere all the time. So we extract the principles that are being taught here. Then we apply them to our specific situation. That becomes our conviction. And with our conviction, you're supposed to keep it between yourself and God. Okay, enough of that one. The bottom line is this. Loving correction through a heart connection not simply behavior modification. That's what God's into. He doesn't want a bunch of robots running around, right? He wants a loving connection with our heart, with our heart, and then he will lovingly correct us when we get off the path. Hmm. As you endure this divine discipline, the writer of Hebrews says, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Now, the writer here is quoting directly from Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. The continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God doesn't change. God never changes. And so the writer here is quoting right from Proverbs. As God's children through faith in Christ, the Lord disciplines each one, each one, that's all of us that claim to be Jesus' followers, and it proves two things. Number one, his love for us, and secondly, our place in his family. That's what it proves. We're legitimate. We're the real deal, right? His love for us, that's what it proves, because God disciplines those he loves and his place in his family. We got a place at the table. This is cool because he loves us that much. Now, this requires faith. Faith that Father really does know best for us and that he reserves the right to dispense discipline any way at any time that he wants to. That's up to God, not us. God often uses correction and even painful discipline to mold us, to shape us, yes, even to rescue us from ourselves because we can get off track pretty easy. He loves us enough to bring us discomfort, to free us from attitudes and habits that may stunt our growth. It may stop his work in our lives. And God wants our best. Sometimes God's discipline can seem severe, but the greater our disobedience, the greater our apathy toward God, the greater his punishment, all because he loves us. And understand this, God's discipline is always, always purposeful. He's got reason behind why he's allowed this to happen in our lives. There is always purpose behind everything that God does. And it's more than the trite athlete on TV saying, I believe everything happens for a reason. It's way beyond that. It's much deeper and much profound that we trust God with all of our heart. So God's discipline is always purposeful. Now, parents sometimes become discouraged when discipline seems to have no effect. Our oldest, Jeremiah, uh, was one of those kinds of kids, extremely strong-willed. And there's times we became discouraged because no matter what we did to him, it didn't seem to affect him much at all. And maybe you've been there. I know God's been there with me. He's been there with me. No matter what I do to you, you thick 
hot-headed, selfish man. I can't get your attention. So, in love, he ratchets it up. Just another notch. Just dial her up there a little bit hotter. Uh, he's going to win in the end. Let me tell you that. He is going to win in the end. No matter how tough, how strong, how independent, how self-reliant you think you are, God's going to win. He's going to win in the end. And he's going to do it through love. He's going to do it through love. Our courts are constant reminders of this truth. To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. And those of us that have been part of the court system or law enforcement understand that very well, the devastation that can come to a mother's heart from an undisciplined child. Now, a child will realize that an over-permissive parent who always lets them have their own way really does not care and is not worthy of respect. And so the snowball begins going down a mountain. An over-permissive parent. Huh. They don't have to respect. They don't have to do what you say. They're not worthy of respect. So in the Old Testament, a son who was totally rebellious to his parents and beyond correction, they were in deep weeds. Now, this is in the Bible, all right? Here we go, Deuteronomy 21. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. So the parents are trying, right? We're trying to discipline this kid, just not quite connecting. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours, he's stubborn, he's rebellious, he refuses to obey. In fact, he's a glutton and a drunkard. So he's obviously older. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. Huh. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. Afraid of whom? They're going to obey, right? Now, imagine if we did this in the United States of America. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Officer Fickett, arrest that man. <laughs> but imagine if that would happen. How many examples would it take before I could walk in downtown Milwaukee at 3 a.m. and not worry for my safety? Hmm. Hmm. How long would it take? I'm so glad we live under grace and not the law. Aren't you? Because I could have been one of those kids. And I'm so grateful for grace. But understand the point that God is making here. It's extreme, but it shows how seriously God takes a child's defiance to his parents. It teaches us how seriously God takes my defiance toward him. But if that child grows up with this mindset of self-entitlement, that somebody owes me something in life, it could cost them their very life physically, literally. Next week, we'll take communion together. Just a wonderful time at the Lord's Supper. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, that is why many of you, that is why they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, making a mockery of it. That is why, he says, many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. God's not messing around with this stuff. We sometimes forget that. John said this, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. There is a time in God's calendar in which we cross the line. It's too much. It is too much. 
And there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. Whole different side of God, isn't it? Yes, He loves us. He loves us enough to discipline us. And He disciplines us in His love. An undisciplined child is really an unloved child. I am convinced of that. If God loves me, He's going to discipline me. If I love my children, I will discipline them. I will live a disciplined life, in fact. It's a love issue. God loves us just the way we are, but way too much to let us stay that way, and I'm so thankful for that. But if you're a parent, you know. You know that disciplining your kids consistently is one of the hardest things a parent does. Would you agree with that? It's just tough because they're always doing it at the wrong time, and oh my goodness, can't I just get a break from this, right? It's humiliating. It can be exhausting, and you know what I'm talking about. You're standing in the checkout lane. A war is unfolding in the cart in front of you. A nap-deprived three-year-old begins to demand cookies from the cart. Lily, you would never do that. I know that. Lily? I'm not talking about you. Okay, good. Her mom tells her that those are for later. Those are for later. But the preschooler whines, I want them now. I want them now. No, honey, mom reasons. We'll have them for lunch when we get home. The toddler turns up the volume, no longer requesting. The toddler's now demanding. She begins to kick her dangling feet against the cart. Bang, 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 bang. Can you hear that sound? Bang, 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 bang. Right? Everybody's getting the, the word out now. What you're witnessing is about to be a full-blown terrorist hostage situation. <laughs> Call in the news crew. Right? Either my demands are met within seconds, the child is saying in her own way, or there's going to be trouble here. Hmm. Heads are beginning to turn. Mom, beginning to turn quite red, trying to avoid a public scene, she caves. Just one, she negotiates. She opens the box of cookies, and she indulges the child in that moment. Something shouts in your heart, Mom, take charge. You want to blurt out, if you cave in like this, your home is going to be run by a three-year-old. Is that really what you want? Is that really what you want? Now, these seemingly small moments... I believe, are exceptionally important tests for parents. We tend to forget that we are not raising children, we are raising adults. There's a whole different mindset. And when God looks at me, he's not raising a child, even though I am a child of God, he's not raising a child, he's raising a mature adult who will be an effective disciple of Jesus, who will in turn disciple others. That's what he's raising when he looks into my life. He's not raising a child. God is trying to raise an adult. My job as a dad is much more than producing compliant children. My task is to raise adults who are kind, who are generous, who are respectful, who will not act as if they are the center of the universe. And somehow, despite all my failures as a father, all five of my kids are generous and respectful and kind people because of God's grace. You see, left to themselves, self-centered children have a way of becoming self-absorbed and entitled employees, neighbors, husbands, wives, parents, co-workers. The goal of discipline is to lovingly correct behavior while the stakes are low, like the three-year-old with a tantrum. The stakes are low 
But they get much higher as a child grows, dates, marries, begins producing their own offspring. A life marked by self-centered relationships will sabotage all the relationships in their life. And as parents, our willingness to inflict the temporary pain of discipline on a child is a way of preventing colossal pain later in life. It's time to grow up. Time to grow up. Discipline helps us grow up. We're here to help. And some of you receive this. If you didn't get one, get one on the way out. It's abuse from good parents. If you've not looked at that, check it out. We've also listed some resources there. If you want to apply this to the way you're disciplining your own children, that's between you and the Lord. We're giving you principles of how God interacts with us so that you can take these and apply them in your own context. Here's some resources to help you do that, all right? Now, we continue to move toward the end. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the spirit or more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Hang on to that phrase. They were doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, it's painful. But afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Understand, discipline is not there and never meant to be pleasant. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discipline, okay? Now, if it were, it would not be effective. Let's jump into the physical world for a minute. Medicine, surgery, therapy, other medical treatments are endured even though they are painful, they are expensive, they are humiliating, they are uncomfortable, they're inconvenient. We endure these treatments because of the end result, which is better health. And we put up with all this stuff physically because we want better health at the end how much more so with our loving father's discipline he wants us to be all that he created us to be he wants us to be healthy he wants us to be his children salt and light in the world god is holy which means he is perfect that means his discipline is always perfect and we as parents and grandparents often discipline in a way that we think is best but it can fall short and we mess up. Sometimes we discipline out of anger rather than love. Sometimes we punish more severely than we should. Sometimes we may even get the wrong child. We have five kids, last two are twins, 18 consecutive year of teenagers in our home. Yeah, been through it. I might even got the wrong kid. And you know what? There are some times in my life when the enemy will slam me to the turf and he'll use this to do it. He'll bring back and flash across my mind times that I didn't discipline my kids properly. The guilt, the shame, the agony. It just floors me. But then I'm reminded that I need to take every thought captive on the obedience of Christ because you know what? If I confess that sin and turn from it, God doesn't remember it anymore. It's gone. Who do you think's reminding me of that? Not my loving Heavenly Father. It's the enemy of my soul who would seek to hold me captive from my past. And there's some parents here who have blown it. 
And sometimes it sticks right in your heart. I get that. I get that. This is a place where we are freed from guilt because as the corporate body of Christ, we understand the forgiveness and grace that is ours in him. So I'm saying guilt be gone in the name of Jesus. We are free. In fact, uh, this isn't scripted, but let's just do this. I believe there's somebody here that wants to pray for all the parents in the room right now. And we're going to pray a prayer of freedom in the name of Jesus because we've all blown it as a parent. We've all blown it in other ways, but God's love is greater. Aren't you grateful for that? I really am. But we need to acknowledge it as a body in Christ together and encourage one another and be freed from this together. So, who would like to pray? Let's pray together, church, shall we? Father, we recognize you as our Heavenly Father, that you are perfect in all your ways, and we know that you are God and we are not. Many Many of us, many of our number didn't have perfect parents. Uh, many of us have, have been wounded by our own parents, and we don't know perfectly the way that you do. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would heal our hearts. That you are a God of grace, you're a God of mercy. We pray that you would touch every one of us, Lord, that you would instruct us and lead us by your spirit to be better parents, to be better role models for the children in our lives and raise them up in a way that you would have us to lead them up, to be effective leaders, to serve the one true king and God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that we would do right by them in this sacred task you've given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And when you get reminded of the times that you've blown it, you remind the enemy of our soul what's happened to him at the cross. The last mention of discipline in the Bible is found in the book of Revelation. It is the words of Jesus to his church, the church in Laodicea. And here's what he said. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Sound familiar? (laughs) I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your indifference. And following that are some of the most misapplied verses in the entire Bible. Often used in evangelism, I understand that. 
these words were written to believers, not unbelievers. They're written to Jesus' followers. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me in my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Put that thought in your brain. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent, turn from your indifference, open the door so that I can come in. I'm knocking at your hard door. As the worship team comes, I want you to contemplate this thought. Contemplate this thought. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands, Lord. And I'm wondering, who is ready to turn from lukewarmness about spiritual things, about Jesus? Who is willing to turn from apathy? Who is willing to turn from indifference and boredom with following Jesus? Who is ready to dine with Jesus? He waits. Who wants to be a a friend? He calls us friend when we turn from our indifference. To be a friend of the King of Kings. Who is ready Who wants to get serious with God? Who here is willing to say, it's time for me to come back to my first love? I've been kind of coasting, kind of drifting, kind of chilling, kind of just living life. But I know that God has more, and I want that. I want to be in love again with Jesus. I want to come back to my first love, my passion, this one who saved me, who's freed me. He is Jesus, and he is worthy. And I believe he's calling to every church with the same message. Come home. Come home. Dine with me as my friend. But you have to open the door. I'm not breaking it in. And he's saying that to us, the church, his children, because he loves us. And he loves you. And oh, how he desires for us. Just come home. Let's stand together, church, shall we? And as we sing, I, I'm just going to ask if the Lord is prompting your heart and you're saying, you know what, today's a, a day in which I need to reaffirm God's work in my life. I'm ready to come home, back to the first love. I don't want to be disciplined for my lukewarmness and my apathy and my indifference in my Sunday brand of Christianity. I want to live full throttle for Jesus. I believe he's stirring my heart and talking to me. Open the door. Open the door and watch what the Holy Spirit can do if we'll just open the door. Oh, how he loves us. So as we sing, if the Lord is prompting your heart, I just ask that you come right to the front here. We just want to pray together. That's all. Won't take a lot of time. I know we're all busy and it's a beautiful day. I get all that. But this is a God moment. This is a God moment. We want to capture that. And regardless of who comes or doesn't come, doesn't make any difference. If God is prompting your heart, you come.
And when we're done, we're going to pray. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. Church, let's sing together, shall we?